Thank you, Jordan and team. Aren't you thankful that we've got a God whose love never gives up on us? Um, our love is imperfect. Our love is flawed. But I love what First John says, that God is love. He's the definition of love. If you ever took basic algebra, which is about as far as I got, um, <laughs> the, the word is means equals, right? God is the definition of love. And perfect love casts out all fear. Perfect love, God encapsulates all that is perfect in love. And so it never gives up on us. Even though oftentimes we give up on ourselves. How many of us have ever felt like giving up on ourselves, you know? But God's love never gives up on us. What an awesome promise. Well, I have a couple things I want to let you know about before we move on in the service today. First of all, um, we are kicking off our life groups, our winter session of life groups this week. Well, actually, technically, it kicked off last week. Wednesday, we had our, our worship and prayer intercession night. And I think we had close to 100 people in here. And the place was shaken with the presence of God. I, I was pumped. <laughs> God was on the move hearing testimonies of what God has done in people's lives. If, if you missed it, you missed it. It was incredible. But I've got good news. You can join into these life groups starting this week. So on your connection card, on through the Sunday links, you can sign up for a, a life group that's going to be meeting. We're kicking off this week. So make sure you sign up. We've got some that are sermon-based. We've got ones that meet in homes. We've got ones that meet here on Wednesday nights um, while we have kids' events and youth events going. So if you have kids... It's perfect because there's a place for them to be discipled and grown and a place for you to go. So we want you to sign up. There's no reason to miss out on this. We've got just about every day, even morning and evening and afternoon, groups that meet. So there is an opportunity for you to be plugged into a small group. I was reading a statistic the other day that said how long it takes to build a friendship. And it takes 50 hours of concentrated time before someone can really consider themselves friends with someone else. Like an actual friendship. Let me tell you. I love being sitting in parallel with you in this room for 90 minutes on a Sunday. But you are not going to build a friendship and be rooted with people until you walk life with them, until you sit with them face to face, talk with each other, and actually have communication and, 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 and engage in that. And so this is your opportunity to get plugged into community, to grow together, to be discipled. So sign up for a life group. We encourage everyone to do that. It's going to be great. All right, so that kicks off. Another thing I want you to know about is we have Baptism Sunday coming up on February 12th. That's just a couple weeks away. That means next Sunday is our baptism class. We want everybody to go to our baptism class because um, that's getting baptized because A, it makes sure that you understand what you're doing, what, what statement you're actually making. We want to make sure that you have a theological basis of what's going on. Also, we want to tell you just what to expect. You know, do I come in just like my board shorts and like flip-flops or what, you know, how, what do I expect? So we'll explain everything you need to know. We're going to give you the t-shirt and all that. And we're going to just kind of get a glimpse of your testimony of what you want to share. So in order to do the class, that's next Sunday. So you need to let us know you're coming to that baptism class. We'll connect with you about the, uh, that you want to be baptized. We'll get uh, in touch with you about the baptism class. It's going to be coming up next Sunday. So make sure you mark that in your connection card as well. We want to celebrate with you. It's going to be a really, really fun Sunday. With that said, we're going to receive our morning tithes and offerings now. So ushers, if you will prepare yourselves, we are going to give. Um, thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving church. Um, just looking over this past year, we're stepping into this new year. Uh, I'm coming in with such an excitement and optimism for what God is going to do, both in this church corporately and individually as we step out in faith. So let's give with joyful hearts. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much that um, you have entrusted us with so much. When we look at the world around us and, and how much we have, in comparison to so much of the world, we have been entrusted with much. And so, Lord, let us keep in mind that we are stewards of what's yours. And what you call us to do is to return to the storehouse what is yours. 
And you will provide for our every need. And so right now, Lord, I pray, God, that you would continue to teach us that it's not wrong to have possessions, but not to be possessed by our possessions. And Lord, that we would continue to grow in this area because as our money goes, there our heart goes. So Lord, I pray that we would put our treasures in heaven where moths and rust don't destroy, where thieves can't break in and steal. But Lord, eternity is forever changed. We thank you for for it, God. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 So we are, as a church, going through... Thank you, Richard. Not only can he drum, he can move podiums. He's amazing. Um, We are going through the story of Jesus together. At Christmas, we kicked it off at his birth, and we are walking through his story. Of course, we're not going to be able to touch on every single thing. The book of John says if someone were to write everything Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough uh, books in the world to contain everything that Jesus did. So we're, we're going to be talking through chronologically, though, some of the things that happened in Jesus' life. And right now we're in what I call Act 1, I suppose. Last week we talked about the temptation of Christ. He was baptized in the Jordan. He went into the wilderness and he was tempted for 40 days. And, uh, and he comes out of the wilderness then. And uh, Jesus returns to his home state of Galilee. And he gets to Galilee and he starts going around and he starts teaching in the synagogues in Galilee. And people really are fond of him. They're like, man, this guy is a great orator. He's a great preacher, as, as it were. We really like him. And so uh, he's, he's building in popularity. And then one day he goes back to his hometown of Nazareth. Nazareth was a town in the greater Galilee. Galilee is not just the Sea of Galilee, but it's kind of a, a large area that reached all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. And he goes to his hometown where he uh, was, was raised after returning from Egypt in Nazareth. Remember, this is that backwater town. And he goes into the, uh, the, the synagogue there and he reads from the prophet Isaiah. And he, he reads to them and he says, I am the one that Isaiah is talking about. He says, I need you to know something. I am the one he's talking about when he says someone is coming to set the captives free. And right now I'm paraphrasing. What I encourage you to do is go back and read in the book of Luke this story that I'm telling you. Uh, proofread me on this. Check me on it. Read your own Bible, please. I'm paraphrasing because we've got a lot to get to. This isn't an act- our actual text yet. So I'm giving you a background. So Jesus declares this to the people in, in, uh, in, in his hometown and... Uh, and in Nazareth, and he says, I'm the one that's come to set the captives free. And they all go, 
you're the one that's been prophesied for these hundreds of years. You're the guy. And they start to kind of chuckle about it. And they say, isn't this Joseph's son? They know who he is. They were, they, he, was, he was raised there. They've seen him since he was, you know, knee high off a grasshopper. And they say, isn't this Joseph's son? And have you ever heard the phrase, familiarity breeds contempt? Right? Where, where you just know someone, you're really familiar with them, and it's just like, okay, yeah. Well, well, those most familiar with Jesus, the ones who knew him the best, turned out to be the most calloused and indifferent to who he said he was and who he proclaimed to be. Even though they saw his whole life, that he lived without sin, that he was the perfect kid, that he did everything right as he was raised in his father's house, as he stepped into carpentry and all these things, he lived a perfect life. But they looked at him when he said, I am this one that is called in Isaiah. They all go, isn't this just Joseph's son? And so um, it's just so interesting how true that is even now. I, I, I was thinking about those that are raised around the church, those that are raised around Jesus often can become the most callous. To his movement, to who he really is, the power in his name, because we're so familiar. We've heard it all before. And, uh, and, and I was thinking about this deconstruction movement that's been going on and people rejecting their faith of their childhood because they, they're, 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 they're becoming, you know, whatever it might be, they're starting to really rethink different things. And, and they're saying, I grew up around all this religion. I grew up hearing about Jesus. And I'm sure many of the people that heard Jesus stand and proclaim in that synagogue, I am the one that Isaiah's talking about. We're like, we're pretty familiar with you, Jesus. We, we, know, we know your stuff. And they were incredulous. And so um, Jesus says, a prophet is always going to be rejected in his hometown. He, again, refers to Old Testament scripture. And he says, if you don't believe in me, you're going to miss it. You won't even, a, even a sign won't change your mind. I, can, I, I can't even do miracles here because you're so hardened to it. And the people really enjoyed hearing that. So much so, they're like, you know what, let's kill him. His hometown decided they were going to kill him. They were going to run him off a cliff. And Jesus escapes that moment and, uh, and leaves, <laughs> leaves this area. He's like, uh, things aren't going too hot in my hometown. And so he moves east about 15 miles to the, sea, the actual Sea of Galilee. And it's around the shores of this sea that would be kind of the central place of his ministry that he'd spend the next three years. He would move back and forth between Jerusalem and some other places, but it would be really centralized around the Sea of Galilee. And so he begins to preach in the synagogues that are in the towns surrounding the Sea of Galilee. For those that aren't familiar, familiar a, a synagogue is like a small church. It's, it, there's the main temple that's in Jerusalem, but the synagogues are like the local community of faith, the church there. And so he'd go into the synagogues and he'd preach and he'd teach. And as he'd go into these towns, he started to do, perform miracles. Uh, he cast out a demon out of a man and he healed a lot of people, including a woman that had a very high fever. He went into her home and healed her. And these things, really gave Jesus a lot of immediate and early notoriety. The crowds start gathering around. They're like, who is this guy? And so they start following him along the shoreline as Jesus is walking. And um, Jesus comes to this town of Capernaum. He preaches in their synagogue. The crowd's gathering around. And this is where our story picks up in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. So this is where our text is at. If you have your Bibles, open them with me. Luke 5, verse 1. It says this, One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee... Great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push out into the water. And he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. 
Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all night last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. And when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I am too much of a sinner to be around you, for he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and they followed Jesus. So Jesus preaches from this boat. This guy named Simon has a boat. It's sitting there. The crowds are pressing in. And he's like, you know, I, I don't know if you remember several weeks ago, we talked about the acoustics that were there on the water if Jesus stood in a boat and how he could see people teach uh, large groups of people from this boat. And so he sat in the boat and he um, gave this, uh, this, this message from the boat. He preached from the scriptures. Um, and then he says, after he's done preaching, he turns around to Peter. He says, hey, let down your nets and let's catch some fish. This would have been insulting to Peter. For one, they, this would have been hugely inconvenient. He said, Jesus, we worked hard all night and we haven't caught a thing. Um, also, if you notice, what were they doing when Jesus first climbed into the boat to preach? Did you, did you catch that at the beginning, what they were doing? They were washing their nets. They were cleaning their nets. So they were cleaning up after a long day's work. It was washed. They were cleaned. They were ready for the next day. But Jesus says, now you need to go resoil the nets. You need to throw them in the water. And they know exactly what's going to happen. They've, they've been fishing at the right time of day, right? Okay, let me tell you. I used to be a waiter when I worked my, time, my way through college um, in a restaurant. And the worst thing was when at like... Such and such o'clock, 59, a party would come in and be like, you closed yet? And we're like, in 60 seconds we would be, yes. And, and I already had my, my area clean, my tables clean, everything mopped and ready to go. And then they'd come in and they'd be there for a half hour. And then I'd have to redo everything. It was infuriating. I had just finished a long shift. I'm done. These guys had fished all night long. And Jesus is like, let's mess those nets up one more time. For an absolutely pointless reason. And, and so uh, I'm sure fishermen didn't like carpenters telling them their business. I know my business. I know what I'm doing. Think about someone poking their nose into what your profession is. And they have no business being in your profession whatsoever. They're like, I wouldn't do it that way. How about you try doing something a little different? How about you do this? I'm a great armchair quarterback. The other day I was watching some sports and uh, giving my analysis. And Gavin turned to me and he goes, Dad, why don't you coach? And I said, well, son, it's just easier just to be, sit here and be really critical. I'm really good at that. That's my, that's my gift. And uh, I, I was just thinking about, you know, these, these, these guys, they're going, really? Jesus is coming up saying, you don't, don't do it that way. Do it a different way. Like, can you imagine someone coming up to you and saying, why don't you do it this way? You go, why don't you take my hammer? Show me how you would do it. You know, why don't, why don't you take my calculator? Show me how you would run those numbers. Or, or show, take my spatula. Show me how you'd make that. Or take my microphone. Show me how you'd do that. Or take my scalpel. Show me how you... No, don't do that. You know? <laughs> but that's probably how Peter felt. You are, you are horning in on, on this is my profession. You do you, Jesus. You're a real good teacher. Apparently you got some carpenter skills. I'm the fisherman. You stay out of my business. But Jesus was asking Peter a question. That's not so clearly stated here. And he was asking Peter, do you trust me? Yep. Yep. Peter, 
Do you trust me? Do you really trust Jesus? And this was a test. Remember last week we talked about temptation versus tests. And Jesus was giving Peter a test to see what kind of faith and trust he had in Jesus. You see, the kind of fishing that Peter and his, uh, bro- uh, his, his brother and his other uh, compatriots were doing was shallow water fishing. I, was, I did some really fascinating research about the type of fishing that they would do and how um, they would export fish literally across the Mediterranean. They would salt them there at uh, the Sea of Galilee and ship them across the known world, essentially. Um, but uh, the way they would catch these fish is they would be in shallow water because, believe it or not, they didn't have sonar or fish finders on their boats at the time. None of that. So they would be in shallow water and they could see the shadows of the fish on the bottom of the lake then. And they'd know where the fish were. And they'd fish in the evening because both due to feeding times and because they could use the moonlight, it was the right time to fish. And so they would fish through the night. That's when they'd catch their fish. And during the day, they would repair their nets and rest. And Jesus is telling them to fish at the exact time they shouldn't be fishing. And Jesus is saying, I've seen you do everything that's practical. You've been using all your resources, all the natural resources. You've been doing what the experts have said you should do. Now what I want you to do is trust me in the face of improbability. Now I want you to trust me in the face of the impossibility. It's impractical. It doesn't make any sense. But the act of letting the nets back down was in fact an act of submission to Jesus saying, I trust you. It was was a a conscientious surrender to to Jesus' will when Peter said, if you say so, then we'll put him back in the water. A conscientious decision. You you see, we like to sometimes think we can passively obey Jesus' voice. I like to think that I can passively obey Jesus' voice. Like, that's a good thought. I agree with you, Jesus. And that, that somehow that, that, that's an agreement. But Jesus, in fact, brings us to a crisis point of decision where we actually have to say, am I going to act in faith? Am I going to act in trust? You see, like the people in Nazareth, Jesus' hometown, who liked Jesus when he was a good teacher, right? He threw out a lot of good ideas. They're like, ooh, I'm going to write that in my Bible on the margin. That's really good. But then Jesus brings you to a point of decision. Am what I, is what I'm saying true and are you going to take action on it? Right. And this is where he brought Peter to. You see, in 1972, the Doobie Brothers released a song called Jesus is Just All Right With Me. Amen. And that's the way a lot of people live though, right? <laughs> He's all right with me. A lot of people like the idea of Jesus and they like the things he has to say. He's about peace and love. He's about good thoughts and vibes and, and he's about loving your neighbor. And they, we like this, this ethereal idea of Jesus. But if you take Jesus at who he truly says he is, it changes everything. He's either who he says he is, the son of God and the only way to the father, or he's a madman. Because Jesus says, no one can get to God except if they come through me. I am the literal son of God, flesh incarnate son of God. And so you've got to take him at that. Or you've got to say, that guy's a little cuckoo. And this is what Jesus is bringing Peter to. He's saying, do you trust me? Are you going to act in obedience and actually put action to what you say you believe? And so... and so. Um, even though it's the wrong time of day, even though it's the wrong part of the lake, it's the deep water, not the shallow water, he obeyed. Why? It seems like Simon, James, John, and Andrew just thoughtlessly dropped everything to follow Jesus and do this, right? But, but um, he had this miracle happen before him. And this is, this is a more expanded version that Luke gives. If you read the abbreviated narratives in a couple of the Gospels, when you read about how Jesus called the, the fishermen, it sounds like they were just kind of like, we got nothing better to do. Jesus is walking along the lake. He's like, come follow me. They're like, okay. 
Right? And, and you're like, what in the world? Why, why such faith? But, but Luke gives a bigger narrative here on why Peter would have had the basis of obedience here and dropping the nets, but also, and, and dropping the nets back in the water, but also dropping his business and his life and walking away from it all. Um, Luke gives a, a bigger uh, background. You see, this wasn't Simon's first encounter with Jesus. And I apologize. I realize already I've called him Peter and I've called him Simon. I apologize. Simon was his name at this time. Jesus would change his name to Peter. Just kind of interchange those if you like in your mind. If I say Peter, I mean Simon. All right. So this wasn't Simon's first encounter with Jesus. Remember when I mentioned that Jesus had been performing miracles around the Sea of Galilee and the crowds were starting to build? He had, he had healed this Uh, This man that had been possessed by a demon, but then he also went into a home and he raised up a woman that had a severely high fever. Do you know who that woman was? It was Simon's mother-in-law. He was in her home already. So he already had seen uh, the hand of Jesus healing his loved ones, the people he knew. Um, Simon had seen Jesus' miracles already. He had seen people be healed. And he had heard Jesus preach from his boat, right? Jesus sat in his very boat and preached. So there was a background here. But this moment was different because Jesus was taking Simon from an experiential encounter where he got to observe what Jesus was doing and see what was happening in other people's lives and hear what Jesus was saying. And now the lens was turned on him and Jesus was saying, you've seen what I've done for other people. You've seen that I, that what I'm all about. But now I'm calling to you, Simon. Do you trust me? Now it's personal. Simon, do you believe that I can do what I say I can do? Do you believe that I have the power that I say I have? Do you believe that what the words that I speak are truth? And so maybe, maybe he's seen what people have been talking about. Maybe he's seen lives changed. He's, he's seen that he's a great teacher, a miracle worker, a prophet. But now he's saying, Simon, do you believe for yourself I am who I say I am? And this crisis of decision hits Simon. He says, you've seen others experience me, follow me, but do you? Where do you stand? And so Simon obeys Jesus, probably based on what he's seen before. He drops the, the nets in. I'm sure if it was a Joe Schmo that walked along the beach and was like, hey, throw your nets in again. I bet you'll catch something now. He'd be like, forget it. But he saw the other things that Jesus did. He acted in obedience, and he is overwhelmed when this catch of fish comes up. It's fish everywhere. He's pulling it in, and Jesus, um, he realizes he is beyond just my own resource. He's beyond, I worked all night long and couldn't provide. I did everything I knew professionally. I've done my whole life and I couldn't do it. But Jesus in a moment and in a word where it was impractical and impossible did even more. He's beyond my experience. He's everything this world promises. He's beyond everything this world can promise. And everything this world offers is suddenly so dulled compared to him. And so literally it says it brings Simon to his knees when he sees the fish. He drops to his knees because he realizes how small he really is. This son of thunder realizes how small he really is. I like this quote by John Piper. He says, if you can't see the sun, you'll be impressed with the street light. If you've never felt thunder and lightning, you'll be impressed with fireworks. And if you turn your back on the greatness and majesty of God, you'll fall in love with a world of shadows and short-lived pleasures. And Simon was living in this world where the streetlight was everything. Where the small things that just passed by seemed like it was fulfilling. And, and here, G- here Jesus is saying, I've got something so much more. So much more real. And so he calls Simon to follow him. And this is a pretty incredible thing because Jesus calls ordinary people to follow him. Amen. Aren't you glad Jesus calls ordinary people to follow him? 
It doesn't require that we be superstar uh, theologians or, or have all understanding or be just really, really charismatic. But he calls ordinary people to follow him. And Simon was caught su- by surprise in the midst of his ordinary daily grind, which actually was a particularly lousy night at work. How many of us have ever had a lousy day at work, right? He just had a lousy day at work. It was just a, a, in the middle of all this malaise, he was encountered by the one who changes everything. And he's immediately aware of the disparity between God's power manifest through Jesus in his own mortal compromised life. And he goes, woe is me. And so he falls to his knees and Jesus calls him. And we can see throughout scripture that human sin and failure and inadequacy are no obstacles for God. Aren't you so glad? I look at... Moses, who said, oh man, I've got a stutter. I can't be used by you, God. I think of uh, um, I, I, Isaiah, who said, I'm a man of unclean lips, right? He says, I, woe is me. David, um, who, was, who was the youngest in his family and a shepherd boy, was used by God. Um, Deborah, who was societally an out, uh, not someone that could be a leader, not someone who could be used by God, but was used to rescue Israel. These people who, who would be on the outside and yet Jesus chose, or God chose them. And then Jesus chooses his disciples. Did you notice that none of them that Jesus chose were Pharisees, Sadducees, or any kind of teachers of the law or people that had it all together? They were all either fishermen or tax collectors, sinners. None of them had been invited to follow a rabbi. In that era, what would happen was when you were a child, you'd be sent to synagogue and you would go to school. And your school was Torah. Your school was the the scriptures. And you would memorize it. By the time a child reached age six, they would have the first five books of the Bible memorized, the Pentateuch memorized. At least they were supposed to. And by age six, they would, they would evaluate. And if you were the best of the best, if you were the smartest of the smart, if you really had it together, you could continue on in your education. If they realized, you know what, you just don't got it, you'd go to trade school, family trade school. You'd take on the family business. But the best of the best after age six would get to go and continue on in their education. And during that education, they would memorize the rest of what is our Old Testament. They would memorize that until age 10. And, and so once they had all that memorized, the very best of the very, very best would be invited then um, to continue on to classes to about age 14 or 15. And when they reached that, they could ask a rabbi, may I follow you? May I follow you? And the, the rabbi is the, the teacher, the one that's the religious um, elite that they were to follow. And Jesus was a rabbi. He was someone that people wanted to follow. And the rabbi would invite them to come follow them. None of these guys made it past round one, essentially. These guys were all in the family business or in some other line of work. I find it interesting, not only were they fishermen tax collectors, they were political activists. They were zealots, they were called. And zealots were people that were looking for governmental overthrow of the Romans. And you look at, (laughs) so you've got these people that are zealots. And and there was a a group within the zealots. It wasn't just that they were like, we are like a political party. They were actually terrorists. Modern day terrorists, or their version of modern day terrorists. They had a group within them called the Sicarii that would carry knives within their cloaks. They would hide them and they would try to assassinate anyone friendly to Rome whenever they had the chance in a public place. And so there was this group that rose up. Do you want to know another? Th- this is just an aside. This is so cool. I found this in my study. Um, do you know what really initiated the rise of the zealots was when the uh, proclamation of having uh, the, the census by Caesar in the year 6 AD happened. Um, the zealots rose up and say, said, this is us capitulating to Rome. 
And so that's actually one of the major things that caused the rise of the zealots within, within Israel. Just a fascinating fun fact. Put that in your pocket. You can take it home with you. All right. So he had a zealot that he called in his, into his inner circle. But on top of that, he also had a tax collector by the name of Matthew who was working for the Roman government. Not only that, he was a traitor to the Jews. He was what the one that was charging the Jews their money to send it off to Rome and took a little off the top for himself. And so in this inner circle, I wonder what these conversations around the fireplace were like. He's got a guy that's trying to assassinate, basically, Matthew. I would sleep with a knife under my pillow. I don't know. And the conversations that occurred. But within this group, he said, you are going to be the men that change the world. You're going to be the people that change the world. And so he brought into his inner circle these people that, 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 that really people would be, say, you're on the outskirts. You're on the outside. You couldn't possibly have this, uh, uh, this calling. But he said, I want you to follow me as my disciples. A high consideration to be said uh, of, a, of a rabbi. Come follow me. And Jesus calls these men. And so they come and they follow him. And did Jesus do this just because these guys were a bunch of down and outers? No. As a matter of fact, uh, in Mark's account of Jesus calling Simon and Andrew, it says that they, that they left the hired men in the boat. They were doing well enough to have hired staff that were working their boats. This was a, this was a business. They weren't, uh, they weren't sustenance fishing. They weren't peasants that were just scraping by. They had a business that they walked away from. Um, you think about Matthew um, and, and, and his tax collecting business. Tax collectors did very, very well. You've got Zacchaeus, right? And then these stories of these people that took exorbitant fees because they were, uh, they were fleecing the people essentially. And so, um, but, so, so Jesus wasn't just calling people that were down and out and had nothing else to lose. But they did realize, I've got nothing better to lose. I've got to leave it all behind. So you see, it wasn't that they were, were without anything else. But they realized they were the most willing to leave everything to follow Jesus. These men were the most willing to follow, to follow Jesus, to leave everything to follow him. Did you know that Jesus didn't bat a thousand when he called disciples? He tried asking a few people to follow him and his disciples, and they said no. Um, in, uh, in Luke chapter 9, he invites a, group, uh, a few people. It says, in, uh, starting in verse 57, it says, As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place even to lay his head. Listen to this next line. He said to another person, come follow me. This is the same exact sentence he told Peter. Come follow me. The man agreed, but said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus is raising the ante here, right? You think, who can't go say goodbye to their family? Now, is Jesus saying that family shouldn't matter, all these things? No, he's talking about the weight of the call, though. And what are you willing to walk away from to follow me? He's speaking here in, in, uh, in superlatives. And Jesus is saying, what are you willing to walk away from to follow me? And for Simon and for the other disciples, they looked at what they had. They looked at their boat. They looked at the nets that now were full of fish. And they realized, is Jesus worth everything? Yeah. It wasn't even hard. Immediately they dropped everything and followed Jesus because to them, he was worth everything. Simon experienced him personally. He made a, a conscious choice to let down his net and to trust Jesus. And Jesus answered him. And today I want you to know Jesus is inviting you into a world. Into a, into a life that is so much more than we can experience or we can achieve on our own. 
He's calling us to a life of more than we can experience or achieve in and of ourselves. I can't hear the keys. I don't know if they're on. Okay. So right now I invite you to launch into the deep and let down the nets. But what does that look like for you? Simon and the other disciples counted the cost and to, to him he was worth everything. But right now Jesus is calling us to radical discipleship. Not just looking, he's not just looking for adherence. Not just looking for people who will uh, just kind of make mental ascension to his uh, statements. But actually say, I am ready to radically follow Jesus wherever he takes me. Whatever he calls me to, I'm going to step out in faith. Maybe you've been familiar with Jesus for a long time, kind of like the people in his hometown. But it's time to go from knowing about Jesus to saying, Jesus, you need to be my king and my Lord. And it's time to step into active belief, just like, just like Simon did when he let down his nets. And I'm not saying that means leaving your job. Um, it may. It may mean quitting your job and stepping into something new, stepping into ministry, stepping into missions. I don't know what that may be, but no matter what it is, our, um, whether we do or not, a, a disciple's identity is no longer in being a fisherman or being a tax collector or anything other than being a disciple of Jesus. I was thinking about this. Our work and our jobs and our relationships are no longer the defining element of our sense of person, personhood once we start to follow Jesus. My defining characteristic is not that I'm the pastor of New Life Church. My defining characteristic is not that I'm the husband of Hosanna or the father of Gavin and Judah. While those are all true and very fundamental, my most elemental identity, though, is how I'm defined at my core as a follower of Jesus. That I am a disciple of Jesus. That I will follow Him every single day of my life. Whether I'm pastoring here at New Life Church and I'm still a disciple of Jesus or I'm managing a Quiznos. Do those even exist? I don't know. But... I'm still defined as a disciple of Jesus. My, my, my identity is rooted in being a follower of Jesus. And right now I want you to know Jesus is calling you to radical discipleship. Step out and trust Him in radical discipleship. Are you ready to follow? Because Jesus is calling. Come follow me. And like those other disciples Jesus called and they said, well, I've got other things going. We are so good at finding reasons. Well, give me five, Lord. Just let me really consider it. He's saying, come follow me now. Now's the time. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to step out. So can we bow our heads, church, and close our eyes? This morning, if you're in the house and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe you've been very aware of him. There's some people that probably know <laughs> stuff about Jesus that's beyond what I know. But you have a, a head knowledge of Christ. You have a familiarity. But it has not gone down to the roots of your soul. And you have not actually made him your Lord and Savior. You have not stepped out in that crisis of faith and said, Do I trust and believe what he really says he is? And right now you're at that point. Who am I going to say Jesus is? And if he is who he says he is, am I ready to follow him? So with this consideration, it's not a light call. I don't want to make this sound easy. I don't want to sugarcoat it. It is a heavy, weighty call to follow Jesus. Are you willing to forsake all others and say, Jesus, I want to make you my Lord? 
So in this moment, if you've never given your life to Christ, or maybe now is the time, you've been walking away and you say, Lord, I need to return home. You say, Pastor Brent, that's me. I want to follow him as a disciple. I want you to raise your hand and raise it high. I want to pray with you. Raise it high. Yes, thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Yes, I see that hand. I see that hand. And that hand. Yes, thank you. Hands across this room. Thank you, Jesus, that you call us to radical discipleship beyond our own means, beyond the things that we think fulfill us, beyond the, the, the identities we build ourselves within our occupations. You call us to be first and foremost followers of Jesus. And so right now, with those that just raised their hand, we say, Lord, I'm making my king and my Lord. From this day forward, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be in the dust of the master as I follow you, Jesus. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, we're going to pray a prayer together. And this prayer is simply the starting blocks of a life following Jesus. This is a prayer of faith saying, Jesus, I believe who you are is who you are. But now we actually engage in that journey. And so we're going to pray this prayer together. And here's what I ask in a moment when Melissa comes up and leads us in our connection cards. Mark on your connection card that you made this decision today because we want to connect with you on what that means to follow Jesus from this day forward, how that looks, what the practical steps look like in following Jesus. So mark your connection card to be asked so that we can connect with you. But right now, church, I want us all to pray this out loud. I'm going to pray it with boldness and pray it with conviction, the whole church, all right? Say this together. Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you came for me. I believe you died for me. And I believe you rose again. And you have called me to discipleship, radical discipleship. So today, I make you my king and my Lord. From this day forward, I will follow you every day of my life, surrendering to you, following you, letting the nets down when you say to let the nets down, walking away when it's time to walk away. With you as my Lord. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Right now, Melissa's going to lead us in our connection cards and a practical follow-through for the rest of us and how we can obey God and letting down those nets when he calls us. Melissa. Thank you. So uh, we're going to do our connection cards, and you will see those on your Sunday links, or they're also in the seat backs right in front of you. There's a few things that I want you to do. One, if you're new, remember to check that you're new because we want to follow up. If you gave your life to Christ today, please check that too. We want to follow up with you. We want to hear your praises. We want to hear your prayers. We have a group that meets every week and lives life with you. We rejoice with you. We sorrow with you. We pray for you. So please write those down. And also, it's our chance to um, respond to the message. Where do you need to let your nets down? Where have you been doing it your way and your nets have been coming up empty? And you just need to actually drop the nets when he said, when he's told us to drop the nets. What is that area for you? We're just going to take a second to do that.
So I'd like to send this uh, congregation out this week. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this uh, gathering today. We ask you for the boldness to drop our nets when you tell us to, Jesus. I ask us to go out in our communities and shine your lights and and just share your love with everyone around us. Make the changes that we need to make in ourselves this week. Thank you, church. We will see you in your life groups this next week. Thank you.